Now, I don't know about you, but I really love the feeling that the start of a new year brings. You know, that feeling of a new beginning, a fresh start, a year that's kind of filled with hope and potential, as well as a chance to reflect on things that maybe we want to do, things we want to achieve in the coming year ahead. So a new year with some new goals. And so that brings us to New Year's resolutions. Is anyone a fan here of New Year's resolutions? Has anyone made any New Year's resolutions? Wow, wow, really not. <laughs> I thought there'd be a few more hands than that. Really not a fan of New Year's resolutions. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking a little bit about New Year's resolutions this year, and I just started to Google what are some of the common New Year's resolutions that people make. So I don't want to put the list up just yet, but can anyone shout out, what do you think are some of the most common New Year's resolutions that people make? Sorry? Stop smoking, absolutely, that's on the list. Get healthy, that's at the top of the list, number one. Get in shape, lose weight, exercise more. Anything else? (laughs) I like that New Year's resolution, yeah. I could get on board with that one. No, you're right, absolutely. So to quit, quit or cut down drinking, yep, that's on there. Any, Any other ones that anyone can think of? Travel, yeah, that's on there, yeah. Top 10, travel more. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I mean, that, that's not on my list, but that's very revealing. <laughs> Brilliant. Anything else? Brilliant. Why don't we just pop the list up on the screen there? Okay, so we said get in shape, lose weight, exercise more. That came out as number one. To eat better, to be more healthy, quit smoking, quit or cut down on drinking, learn a new skill, travel more, sleep more. I like that one. <laughs> Spend less, get out of debt, break your smartphone addiction. (laughs) Reduce stress. Okay, so those were what I found to be the top 10 New Year's resolution. Can we have the next slide, please? Okay. (laughs) So if we're honest, and I get that impression from you guys here... Really, this is the kind of attitude that we approach New Year's resolutions with. You know, while initially hopeful, within a few weeks, many of us have given up, admitted defeat, or kind of given in to the familiarity of a certain habit or an addiction or a way of life. And I was actually reflecting on the fact that actually at this time of year, we're given a bit of an insight into the fact that there are many people who are hungry for change in their lives. That actually at this time of year, it's revealing that there are many people who are actually looking to better themselves. But actually, when they're left to their own devices, failure is often inevitable. But we know as Christians that we are being called to be continually transformed into the likeness of Christ. And for us, we know it's not the turning of a year that empowers us to be transformed, but rather it's the Spirit of God who is alive and at work in our lives. He is the one that is present to bring transformation. He is present to guide us and to set us free from bondage and addiction in order that he can use us and that he can fulfill his purposes in our lives. And that comes through connection and it comes through relationship with the living God. And as we arrive here at the start of a new year, I think it's time for us, it's time to just take that time to reflect on, you know, are we living our lives the way that Christ intends us to? You know, are we continuing to be transformed into his image? Are we pursuing God's calling in our lives and truly living life to the full? 
I've been asked today to speak um, on the passage in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 1, it's 35 to 39. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Um, this is the passage where Jesus goes to pray in the solitary place. It's a talk that I did at Kingswells a few weeks ago, and I also know that you guys have already looked at this passage as well. But as I was praying around this passage, I really felt the Holy Spirit just speak to me about the fact it's great to come to a new year, just bringing prayer as a priority, just bringing prayer as a foundation as we come into the new year, because that's the place that leads us to Holy Spirit transformation. So we're going to read that together. So as I said, the book of Mark is chapter 1, 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. So, a few years ago, while I was a student, I was struggling to balance a really busy life. So I was struggling to balance my studies um, as well as a part-time job that I was needed to be able to fund my course. So quite often I was working shifts about one o'clock in the morning and with my lecture starting at nine o'clock the next day. And one day, unsurprisingly, I slept in. And I woke up, realized what time it was and started to panic. So I had to run around my house, I grabbed my uni bag, trying to stuff everything that I needed into my bag, trying to get my breakfast, trying to get dressed, and literally running out the door and running down to my lecture. I made it to my lecture, I made it, I was stressed, I was sweaty, I probably smelled a little bit as well, but I had made it. And after a long day and a long walk home, I was absolutely exhausted. And as I walked down my drive to my house, I began to realize that I'd forgotten something. I began to realize that I had forgotten my house key and there was no one in. But at that point, I didn't panic. I knew we had, um, a, we had a plan for um, an emergency such as this, that somewhere in the garden, we had an agreed spot where there was a house key hidden. So I went to the garden and started trying to dig for this key and gradually realized that the key wasn't there. Unfortunately, my brother, who is also a student and living at home with us, had used the key and not put it back. So I was literally stuck outside my house with no key and no one to let me in and no one due home for at least another hour. I was tired, I was hungry, I was fed up and I was literally left to stare through the window of my house at my nice comfy sofa in my nice warm house, imagining the fridge full of food on the other side of this door. I was well and truly locked out. But when it comes to God, we are not locked out of that place of rest and nourishment and meeting with him. You know, we have the key. In fact, if you're a Christian here today and you've given your life to Jesus, he gives back to us a heavenly inheritance which includes full access to his kingdom and his resources in order to equip us and to help us. You have been given, if you like, kingdom keys. Okay, maybe that sounds a bit cheesy, but we'll go with it today. But these are ways that we can unlock our spiritual inheritance. But a bunch of keys on its own is useless unless we actually know what it is that they unlock, what we're actually looking to, to do with those. As we look through the book of Mark, 
we see that Jesus was on a mission, and his mission was to welcome the kingdom of God. It was a mission to make God known. It was a mission to bring healing, to deliverance, and to set the captives free, to disciple nations into the kingdom of God. And we know that that's a mission that he passes on to us. And so when it comes to how we go about doing this, Jesus is our perfect example. And in this short passage, I believe there are three keys that will help us to unlock our potential and to make us more effective for the kingdom of God. So the first key I want to look at is that the pursuit of God unlocks his presence. If we look at verse 35, it says very early. Can you guys say that? Very early. Brilliant. Our favorite time of the day. But Jesus had previously had a really busy evening. When we look at the previous passage, we, look, we see that the people didn't start coming to him until after sundown. So the day before had been the Sabbath day, and we know that Jewish people weren't able to do much on the Sabbath until sundown. So the crowds had come to him after the sun had gone down, and Jesus had been ministering into the late hours the night before. Yet still, the next day, he gets up very early. While it was still dark outside, he goes to find a solitary place to be alone with his father. A place without people, without distractions. He goes to pray. And we see that again and again all the way through the Gospels. Jesus' absolute commitment to spending time with his father. He was committed to pursuing and hearing the voice of the father. Luke 15 verse 6 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that his pursuit of God started at an early age. In Luke 2, we see as a 12-year-old boy, the account of Jesus when he went missing at the Passover. Where was he found? He was found in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And it says of Jesus, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So we see that even at that young age, Jesus' pursuit of God was evident to everyone. Although his public ministry didn't begin to the age of 30, and then there's this large period in his life that's undocumented time. But I think we're given a bit of an insight to that when we look a little further ahead in the book of Mark, when he visits his hometown of, town of Nazareth. And here's what the people say about him in, in chapter 6, verse 3. They say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? You see, the people of Nazareth had seen Jesus grow up as a man, a carpenter, a son, a brother. You know, he wasn't in public ministry, but his pursuit of God went on in the secret place while he waited on God's timing, while he allowed God to speak to him, while he allowed him to shape his values, to whisper the secrets of heaven, to give him words and direction about his future and his calling, and he patiently waited on the right time. And when the time was right, Jesus moved from that private place to the public arena, but in that transition, the discipline of meeting with his father remained the constant. You know, for us, one of the biggest challenges of our life is our busyness or the busyness of our hearts. You know, for Jesus, at this point, he had as busy a schedule as anyone's ever had. Crowds of people were continuing to surround him and draw from him and be in need, for, need of him. Yet his heart was still towards God, and he made it his absolute priority to take that time in God's presence. It was a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle he had developed, and it was a lifestyle that he was prepared to sacrifice to maintain 
do we make pursuing God a priority in our often very busy lives? The presence of God is open to every believer, every person here today. We have access to the presence of God, but we need to make the choice to pursue it. We need to make the choice to prioritize it. The presence of God is where we go to be spiritually fed and refreshed. It's where we go to worship him, to pour out our hearts to him, as well as to hear from him. And if we allow it to, it will actually shape our passion, our focus, our vision, our character, and it will empower us to change, and it will empower us to grow in Christ. Coming into the presence of God, it's like connecting to the recharge point. You know, keeping us charged, full of the Holy Spirit. You know, God doesn't want us to be running on empty. And I don't know about you, but I do feel I've heard a lot of sermons about the importance of quiet time and taking that time alone with God. But I also know from experience and from speaking with other people that it's also one of the most common struggles of our Christian walk. And so we need to prioritize it. And we need to find the place that is unique to us to go and meet with the Lord without distraction and to make it the habit of our lives. For me, a while ago, I was really struggling with this. I found the house was always busy. There were always people around that wanted to speak to you or interrupt what you were doing. So I'd often just take myself off to my bedroom But inevitably, lying on your bed, what happens? You fall asleep. (laughs) So that was my problem. So I decided to make an investment, and I bought myself an armchair. So it quite literally is kind of my place where I go and have my quiet time, my quiet time chair. Um, And I love it. Like, it's upright, so I'm not going to fall asleep, but it's also super comfy. And it's also a really cute latte color with some, like, tartan pattern (laughs) through it. Just if you're interested in that kind of interior design aspect. (laughs) But my rule is that this chair is a no-phone zone. So I go there to read, to journal, to pray, and it's actually made a big difference to my spending time with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you should all go out and buy an armchair, but I'm just highlighting that for me, I needed to put a bit of a thought and a bit of investment into how I was going to improve my quiet times. You know, for all of us, we need to find the place that works for us. And we're all different. That place is different for all of us. For Jesus, it was getting up very early before the crowds began to gather. Maybe for some of us, it's getting up early before the kids get up, getting up early before work. But Jesus also left the house to go and find that place. You know, maybe that would work for us, you know, leaving the distractions behind. You know, whatever it is, we need to find that space and we need to go there often. And I just felt that the Lord wants to put before us at the start of the new year a fresh invitation to pursue encounters with him. So this is the first key. Okay, the second key. The next key to unlocking the kingdom of God is hearing God unlocks our purpose. So after the disciples found Jesus, he said to them, they said to Verse 38, he said, let's go somewhere else to the nearby village so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we see that as Jesus had gone to pray and meet with his father, he's heard him. He's heard him on the next stage of the journey. He's heard him give direction and guidance about where they're meant to go next. You know, it would have been so easy for Jesus and the disciples to stay where they were. They had an eager crowd, but God had a bigger plan that was about spreading the good news through the whole of Galilee. And he spoke to Jesus, and Jesus immediately moved in obedience to the word. You know, I believe that Jesus would have known his calling through a disciplined life of prayer and study of the scriptures before his ministry even began. But even as he ministered, he pursued the now voice of God, seeking seeking daily guidance and daily direction. 
You know, I believe that God wants to have that place of intimacy in our lives where he can speak to us often, daily even, you know, where he can guide our lives, where he can direct areas of our lives. And I believe his heart is that we can all hear him. Sometimes um, I work in A&E in the hospital and sometimes I'll go to see a patient and as I start speaking to the patient, they'll say something like, excuse me, but I'm a bit deaf. So what do I do? Well, first of all, I ask them or check with them if they have their hearing aid with them, to which the answer is usually no. So what do I do? I'll shout a little louder. <laughs> sometimes to the point that the whole department can literally hear our conversation. But why do I do that? Because I want to be heard. I want to be able to communicate with that patient. How much more does God want to be heard by us? God wants to be heard by us so much that he sent his son to die in order that we could be forgiven our sins, so that we could be righteous before him, so that we could come into his presence, so that we could have relationship with him. That's how much he wants to be heard by us. It cost him a lot. But the flip side is that if we're struggling to hear God, we also have a response to make. So if, some, if someone is deaf or struggling to hear, then they have to go and get their hearing tested. Or if they have a hearing aid, they need to wear it. Or if you struggle with your hearing, maybe you need to be sitting on the front row rather than the back row. But it's the same in God. We can position ourselves in such a way that we'll actually optimize hearing from God if it's something that we struggle with. You know, a good starting place is just opening the word and inviting the Holy Spirit to come and speak. Or maybe it's in worship. As we worship, as we sing those hymns, maybe we even want to just be quiet and invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Positioning ourselves, getting in these places. You know, God wants to speak to us about the stuff of our lives. He wants to speak to us about who we are to him. He wants to speak to us about the plans and the purposes he has for us. He wants to challenge us to become the best versions of ourselves, partnering with him to walk in freedom, to grow in our characters. Maybe he wants to speak into family situations, situations in our life that we're struggling with. You know, he wants to guide us. He wants to help us to grow. And the Bible is an awesome book and it contains so much truth and richness and wisdom. But ultimately, the truth of the Bible is that it points us towards a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I love how A.W. Tozer puts it. He says, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, they may taste and know the inner sweetness of God. You know, I love that. <laughs> it's so eloquent. <laughs> but to put it more simply, our goal isn't simply to know the book, but it's to know the author of the book. The Bible says, man shall not live on word alone, but on every word that proceeds the mouth of God. God has a now voice. God has something to say to every one of us. And often it's a still, small voice. And we need to teach ourselves how to hear that. And that comes from spending time alone with him, pursuing that solitary, quiet place. And we know that he speaks in so many ways. So he can speak through circumstances, through his word, through other people in our lives, through the prophetic, through words, through pictures, through visions, through dreams. And for us, we just need to discover what is our heavenly language, because I believe we all have them. We all have our individual ways of connecting with God, and he desperately wants to talk to us. If we're not used to hearing God, it can be really easy to focus on other people that do. 
that we can compare ourselves to, the, to them and make ourselves feel bad. Now, I remember not long after I became a Christian, I was hanging out with a few people who were very prophetic, and I often felt so intimidated by them. You know, I felt like I couldn't hear anything from God, and they were like off on this super spiritual kind of place. But I felt just so nervous even praying out loud in front of them. I felt like my prayers just sounded simple and stupid. But being around them began to stir something in me for a hunger for hearing God. And so I started to get hold of books. I started to read passages in the Bible about the prophetic, about spiritual gifts. I started going to prophetic workshops where there would be opportunity to, to sort of step out and try this gift. And I specifically remember being there as we went around the circle and people were prophesying. And I was like straining with everything in me, just like wanting to like give a prophetic word and nothing would come and it would just be so frustrating. But eventually, as I persevered, I began to get the most simple words, the most simple pictures. And people began to encourage me and I continued to, to grow. You know, years later, I'm still learning. And I love the prophetic. I love the gift of the prophetic, the way it speaks into people's lives and brings encouragement and shows God's love. You know, I love that gift. And over the summer, I was at a conference called Naturally Supernatural, uh, which is a soul survivor conference basically for the whole church. And it was really fun. And there was a prophetic workshop there, and I went to this workshop, and again, another opportunity, just as you split into groups, to just prophesy over people in the group. And the first two people I gave words to were super encouraging, and after each word, they were like, yeah, that was spot on, that was totally from God. And so there's me feeling like really good, I'm like, yes, I'm in the flow, like this is brilliant. And then it came to the third person, and I just basically like unloaded this prophetic word on this person, thinking, yeah, I'm like really in this, and he just looked at me and was like, no that doesn't make sense. That's definitely not for me. I was like, got it. <laughs> I thought I was doing really well. And I just felt the spirit playfully, playfully remind me that pride comes before the fall. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, I'm still learning. We're all still learning. And we can't let failing a few times stop us from pursuing the voice of God. I feel like God doesn't care if we fail. He just cares if we give it a try. And we need to embrace the learning process. Also recently I was reflecting on the fact that often the challenge of our faith is not in our inability to hear God's voice, but rather the challenge is how easy it is to instead focus on other voices. You know, in this day and age, there's so many voices competing for our time and our attention. You know, TV, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the news, like we all live in this state of almost constant information download. We live in the conflict of two realities. There's the kingdom and there's the world. And the problem is that often the world can be more visible and more tangible than the kingdom. And if we're not actively spending time in the presence of God, then the world quickly becomes the loudest voice. We need to watch out for that. So we need to be intentional in the pursuit of God's voice. Like Jesus, making it a priority. Finding that place where we can go. And as we allow him to guide us, He'll bring us into the fullness of his plans and his purposes in our lives. So hearing God unlocks purpose. Third and finally, the last key I want to look at is that intimacy and obedience unlocks power. Verse 39 says, So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. The power of God releases the reality of heaven on earth. Demons have to flee. Sickness has to go when the full power of God is unleashed. And I think that the key of pursuing God and hearing his voice actually work together to unlock and act 
activate this, the key of power and authority. I think that's what we see through the life of Jesus, a life of pursuing God, a life of hearing God, a life of obeying God, and as a result, we carry the power of God. We have to remember that Jesus ministered as a man. You know, he gave up his divinity and ministered completely out of his humanity. He sets the example for us. So power goes hand in hand with a lifestyle of pursuing God. You know, I think that's the main point that Mark, in a way, was trying to make with this passage. If you look at the way he's positioned the narrative, before the, the passage before is about how Jesus heals many. And then you've got this kind of bit in the middle where Jesus prays in the solitary place. And then afterwards, Jesus heals the man with leprosy. It's like healing, prayer, healing. You know, it's like a kind of sandwich. And we all know the best bit of a sandwich is the filling. And effectively, that's what we have here, is that the healing is the bread, but the prayer is the filling. And it's Mark saying, this is the most important bit. Healing comes because of prayer and intimacy with the Lord. The disciples struggled with this at times, but Jesus, he doesn't keep the power to himself. He gathers people around him to teach them and to show them what he was doing. But for the disciples, they had to learn this. So they weren't perfect. So amongst the medics at work, there's this saying, it's see one, do one, teach one. Maybe you've heard that. I just want to reassure you that usually we see a lot more than one before we do one or do a lot more <laughs> when it comes to clinical procedures. But the point is, it's this culture of teaching and this culture of learning and this culture of thinking about the generation coming up behind you, that you pass it on, you pass on your knowledge. And effectively, that's what we see with Jesus. He's gathering the disciples, first of all, to be with him. And that's what we see in this passage. They're watching. They're learning by watching and seeing what Jesus does. But eventually, if we were to skip ahead a few chapters, we see that Jesus begins to release them to have a go for themselves. And we see a place where the, where the disciples struggled. If we look to Mark chapter 9, uh, when a man brings his son to the disciples who's afflicted by a spirit. And the disciples, they try and deliver this boy, but it's recorded that they couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. So what happens? The boy was brought to Jesus, who instantly set him free. And so the disciples are like, what? Like, Jesus, why couldn't we drive that out? And Jesus' reply to them in verse 29 is that that kind comes out only by prayer. I do kind of wonder what exactly exactly the disciples had been doing if they hadn't been praying for people but then again I guess they've witnessed Jesus healing people by simply touching them but ultimately what I think Jesus was saying is that this particular stronghold can only be broken by a lifestyle of prayer and um, broken by the prayer of a power of power and authority that comes from a lifestyle of true intimacy and submission to God and I wonder if the disciples missed that in the early stages they maybe missed the point of that. Kingdom power rests on people who pray and know God. So this is an example of Jesus teaching his disciples. In fact, the original Greek for the word disciple actually means to be a learner-doer. So it's not a sit back and learn, but it's a, to be a learner-doer, to put into practice the things that you're learning. And we are all called to be disciples. We are all called to be those learner-doers. And when we look at the model that Jesus, he, he brought the disciples to himself. He involved them in his miracles. We look at the feeding of the 4,000, the 5,000. You know, he could have done those on his own, but he involved the disciples in the process so that they could see firsthand the power of God. And then he sends them out and he gives them power and authority to have a go. But when they struggle, he's there to teach them and he's there to help. The point I'm trying to make in this is that God actually gives us the grace to learn. 
And that goes for all spiritual gifts. I wonder if sometimes the perfectionist in ourselves, we beat ourselves up for not being the most amazing prophet or prayer for healing or deliverer or whatever it is. You know, we often look at the people who are really good in these areas, but we like beat ourselves up for not being good at that thing. But we need to give ourselves grace to learn. You know, what parent takes their child to the park to learn to ride a bike for the first time and just watches them drive off or cycle off into the distance or maybe take a detour via the skate park and do a few jumps? You know, it just doesn't happen. The first time a child rides a bike, they're going to fall off. And a good parent is there to catch them before they do or to pick them up and to look them in the eye and say, you've got this, go again. And you know, that's what our heavenly daddy is like as we look to grow in the power gifts of the spirit. You know, he's not angry at us when we fail or we fall off. He just picks us up. He looks us in the eye and he says, you've got this. Go again. Try again. You know, we need to be practicing the gifts of the spirit. We need to be persevering. We need to fall off and get it wrong and then try again. And we need to have grace for ourselves when we make mistakes, but also grace for other people as they make mistakes. As we recognize that we are all looking to cultivate hearts of wanting to grow in the kingdom of God, of wanting to grow in the gifts of God, as we look to encourage each other in that growth. Getting it wrong, making mistakes shouldn't stop us. We just need to take risks and see what happens. Okay. The final point I want to make yeah, sorry. The final point I just want to make is if we look at verse 37, uh, where the disciples come to Jesus and say, everyone is looking for you. Now, this is just something that didn't really, I didn't notice this the last time I was looking at this passage. I just really want to underline that word, everyone. Everyone is looking for you. Now, why was everyone looking for Jesus? Because some people had had a powerful encounter. Some people had been healed, they'd been set free, they'd been delivered. Like people's lives had literally been changed because they'd encountered Jesus. And the rest, well, they just heard about it and they wanted to come and to see for themselves or maybe they were even hungry for an encounter of their own. But it just struck me that there's something about encountering the power of God that awakens a hunger in us. And as I was reading through this this week, I found myself just closing my eyes and wondering, you know, what would it look like for the church in in Ellen, in Aberdeen, in Scotland even, if we were carrying, if we were truly carrying that kind of power? You know, a power that was on display for all to see. A power that made it so that everyone was looking for Jesus. You know, is that possible? I found myself wondering. In John 14, 12, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to my Father. It's an invitation to us that we could be doing the things that Jesus is doing. He ministered as a man and he showed us what was possible. He shows us that the power that power comes from a lifestyle of pursuing God, of hearing his voice, of moving in obedience, in not being afraid to get it wrong, in risk-taking. And I believe that how far we go in that is up to us and up to how much of God we want to pursue in our lives. And so I just want to lay that as an invitation towards us this morning as we come to the start of a new year. Yeah, I want to invite us to go deeper and to go further on our pursuit of God this year. You know, there's so much more. Wherever we're at in our journeys with God, there is more. God has more for each and every one of us. Why don't we stand as we pray together?